From LS3P, an architecture interiors and planning firm, this is Human Scale, conversations on architecture and design. This is our podcast series where we sit down with any and all members of LS3P's team to talk about the different facets of what we do and how we do it as a leading design firm in the Southeast. Welcome to Human Scale. At the end of 2020, healthcare designer and associate Julia Bedoric was wrapping up work on the Alliance Child Crisis Center in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. She was passionate about the project and about the community that it was serving, but she was also exploring a newfound passion in podcasting. We are excited to guest host Julia's inaugural podcast here on LS3P's channel. Every year, one out of every five Americans experiences a mental health crisis. But the reality is these kids and families are our kids and families. I started seeing kids being assessed in adult facilities. I finished my task and put together the recommendations for adult, but I also said, um, by the way, we have a, a different problem that I want us to solve. Hello and welcome. My name is Julia Bedoric and I work at LS3P doing healthcare architecture in our Raleigh, North Carolina office. Today, I wanted to talk about behavioral health and behavioral health facilities through the lens of one specific project. It's a renovation project called the Alliance Child Crisis Center. I will admit I am totally biased when it comes to this project because it is the first thing that I worked on at LS3P and I had such a great experience. I knew early on that I wanted to share stories about this project, its team, and the community. But I will say, this episode covers topics like suicide, self-harm, and harm to others, so this might not be appropriate for all audiences. I do hope all listeners enjoy this episode as much as I loved hearing these stories again. I wanted to start with someone who I've known for three years now. He's my boss and the project manager. My name is Jeff Morrell. I'm an architect with over 20 years of experience, and I specialize in the design of behavioral health care facilities. So what exactly is behavioral health? There's been a shift from mental health, calling it mental health, to calling it behavioral health because it's a broader umbrella term that is, is, is refers not just to psychiatric disorders, but also to um, substance use disorder issues. Right? So it's, it encompasses anything that affects our behavior or our judgment in a negative way. In other words, brain health. Every single one of us um, is going to experience poor mental health at one point in our lives, at multiple points in our lives. Every year, one out of every five Americans experiences a mental health crisis. Many of these go undiagnosed or often untreated. And the reality is that there aren't even enough resources to keep up with the patients that do seek treatment. Just today, we had 35 kids that we couldn't treat in our hospital because we didn't have enough beds. That's Patrick Slattery. He's another behavioral health expert, and he works at Kids Peace. We're the, the experts in mental health, behavioral health treatment from inpatient hospital to outpatient and almost everything in between. 
So they've spent a lot of time with patients that um, have threatened to kill someone, have actually tried to kill someone, have threatened to kill themselves, or have tried to kill themselves, or have some significant break from reality, so a level of psychosis, right? So they're, they're not consciously present. I was lucky enough to stumble into healthcare architecture a few years ago. That's given me the opportunity to help create and design buildings that will help patients like this. Besides working closely with Jeff on this project, we also had one other internal team member. I'm Eileen McDonough, project architect. I've kind of worked with behavioral healthcare design for the past five or six years with Jeff, and I've learned from him, and I've been on this project from its inception. Eileen, Jeff, and I worked with Kids Peace and our client, who is Alliance Healthcare. And Alliance Healthcare is the local intra county entity who is responsible for managing the distribution of Medicaid and Medicare funds and overseeing the distribution of care for behavioral health patients. And it's a true sort of public private partnership. Kids Peace is making investments of certainly intellectual property. You know, this is this is what we do. So we're lending our expertise, um, Alliance and LS3P in the state, and hopefully Duke Endowment <laughs> will be all collaborating to, to uh, get it off the ground in July. From the start, you could tell that they are in it for their community and they're in it for the patients. And they really are just trying to connect all of the dots to provide for the patients. Back in 2014, North Carolina had started a group called the Crisis Solutions Initiative. It's the division of mental health, substance abuse services, and folks with disabilities. They appropriated $2 million of reoccurring funding, specifically to increase the number of behavioral health urgent care centers and crisis centers. The whole reason that North Carolina came up with this system was to try to become more efficient in both the spending of money and the administering of care. So that way there wasn't any overlap or any redundant care when patients might go from hospital A in one county to hospital B in another county. And the design team had the pleasure to work with Kate Peterson. And in 2015, when I joined Alliance, my, they gave me an assignment. And my assignment was to look at adult programs and to recommend best practice models for our adult programs because we were struggling a little bit. Kate toured all the crisis facilities in the state and did a ton of research. Through that process, I started seeing kids being assessed in adults' facilities. I finished my task and put together the recommendations for adult, but I also said, um, by the way, we have a, a different problem that I want us to solve. And that's how Alliance started talking about this child facility. So when North Carolina acquired that money, the state started putting out requests for proposals, and that's abbreviated to RFP. And in the second round, the state put out a construction RFP for a million dollars. Part of that was that you had to select your partner to apply. You had to have an existing partner. So we put out a quick RFP to our network, and Kids Peace actually was awarded the opportunity for, to be our partner for that project. And Kids Peace was awarded the, the opportunity to create the program. Kids Peace and Alliance had joined forces, but there's still the question of where do you put a facility like this? 
Kate, do you know how Fuquave Arena became the location for this? Back when we were looking for adult programs and, and looking at those solutions, um, Wake Med actually approached us and said, we have a, an empty building in Fuquay we'd like you to look at. Great location if it were kids, um, because kids come with adults and transportation for the most part. When we started, when we were awarded the RFP from the state and we started looking for property, there really wasn't much. And the two facilities that kept coming back to us was one in Zebulon and this one in Fuquay. Late 2017, we put an offer in on the property. Wake Med um, agreed and sold it to us. So that's how they got it. We wanted to be in a location that was somewhat central to our catchment, which is, you know, Durham, Wake, Cumberland, and Johnston. And then when we also looked at our data around um, kids that present for crisis um, in, in our other facilities in Raleigh, uh, a lot of uh, data pointed to this location to be pretty central to where the crises seem to be coming from. You wouldn't uh, start a dental practice uh, where there aren't any people, right? You, you, you make, mm -hmm. you make, you, you provide the healthcare where the people who need the healthcare reside. And, and the reality is we have kids and families that um, have challenges with mental health, behavioral health uh, issues and crisis. And, and by having a facility like this that uh, is secure, safe, um, well run, it actually improves the quality of life in the community and provides more safety, security, and treatment for its members. The site was secure, but the building was something no one had wanted to touch for a while. Now, this building is kind of unique in that it is was originally built in the 1950s as a standalone rural hospital in the town of Fuquay Barina. In the 80s, it was con it, there were some additions made to the building and it was converted to a nursing home. And then the facility itself was shuttered back in 2012. And so it's been closed and boarded up ever since then. I wanted to talk with someone I knew had a little more information. And knows this building on a more personal level. Luann works at the permitting department for the town of Fuquay Barina, and when I submitted this project a few months ago, she already knew exactly what building I was talking about. I've been here all my life, 57 years, and my, my parents, my grandparents, my parents, my, my two boys all graduated from Fuquay High School, and I was born at the Fuquay, Fuquay Hospital. And my three brothers were, and yeah, it's just been, it's just a lot of change. I knew it turned into like a rehab place that my grandparents were in at one time. You know, after that, um, kind of went downhill for a while. I don't really know what they did at the end of it. Um, it became a place where local teenagers used to like to break in and hang out and spray paint graffiti and do whatever it is teenagers do when they're hiding in vacant buildings. The first impression of the building was uh, a little jarring. Yeah, you had to have some vision there. Um, it, it was pretty nasty. Um, people had broken in over the years. The um, it, it had been, at that point, I think it had been empty about five years. Rented out on occasion by the owner for Halloween parties. I think it was a, was a perfect place for Halloween parties and haunted houses. 
the building was looking kind of scary. You couldn't have even used it for that. It, it wasn't even safe enough to go through, really. And I'll never forget all of the vultures. The vultures liked to take their uh, take their meals and hang out on the roof of the building and eat their meals in peace. <laughs> certainly, certainly the flying, circling vultures that were there every time we went to make a field visit added to the mystique of the haunted house feel. But I think that the final remedy will be to get it open and get it occupied. This project is a renovation of an existing 27,000 square foot building to put in an approximately 20,000 square foot behavioral health center for children and adolescents. And the reality is this is the first of its kind uh, in North Carolina. And really, it's not something you see in in many markets. I'm really not familiar with anything like this in the country, and I've been doing this a long time. Typically, you have inpatient residential facilities that are standalone, and you have outpatient facilities that are standalone. Putting them together allows for a seamless transition to triage crisis cases in a way that avoids them needing to go to the emergency department or to an acute inpatient hospital bed. There simply is nowhere else for families to take their children or their teenagers when they're experiencing a mental health crisis except going to the local emergency department. At one point, we looked at data, emergency room data, and most of the children for behavioral health presented between four and like 10.30 at night. And that's when families are together. That's when there's a lot of stress. That's when there's a lot of tension. And um, if you're going to have problems, that's probably likely when. This is a different type of behavioral health urgent care. Basically looking at physical health urgent cares and redesigning what we did for behavioral health to, to act more in that way. So the behavioral health urgent care is, is a relatively new concept, and essentially it's, it's an urgent care facility. Because the idea of urgent care, right, is to divert from the emergency room. Well, where do a lot of our folks end up is in the emergency room. Well, when you're very anxious, um, and from a child's eyes, things are noisy, people are walking around you don't know, um, and you may be hearing people cry out in pain, There's just a lot of things that can add to children's potential trauma. And if you've had a traumatic history and you add those things on, it can make things worse. This behavioral health urgent care is totally unique in the fact that it's open. 24-7, 365 behavioral health urgent care, open door. You can come in, you can be assessed. You could have a clinician um, work with. Uh, do an assessment. You could have someone working with the family to help them with the plan. Um, But the idea is for the bulk of the kids to leave with their caregivers. And and if we can't find a solution within uh, 23 hours, essentially, then we have the ability to, um, to shelter them in a bed and provide programming and a safe space for them to be um, while we figure out what's going on in in their world. And that should happen within two weeks, which is a relatively short length of stay um, and preferably, you know, to find a a resolution in a few days. The crisis center is licensed as a residential beds. It's a 16-bed facility with a projected length of stay for patients of between five and 10 days for patients who need further care than they can get 
in the in the behavioral health urgent care or BHUC as people call it for short. What we really want to do in this facility is get a really good assessment, get people connected to ongoing services that can support them where they are and, and get them back in the community as quickly as possible. It's kind of a, a no wrong door, whatever is the crisis that they're experiencing and they'd like help, that's what we should be doing. And so that's what we want to do in this facility. So just how important is having this kind of care? People with a severe and persistent mental illness, there is an average time span, um, an onset, an average time span between the onset of their symptoms and when they first seek behavioral health care for those symptoms. An average time span, I think of about 17 months. So that's more than a year between when someone starts becoming sick and when they actually go get help for that illness. Now, if you were to think about that as a broken leg and imagine yourself trying to walk on a broken leg for 17 months, or if you think about the like cancer and think about allowing that cancer to spread for 17 months, imagine how much worse the illness becomes while it's becoming untreated. And so uh, the sooner you get kids and families and adults into treatment to address essentially the root cause of their mental health, behavioral health, issues, uh, the better it is for them, and then obviously the better it is for society at large. Good for society and all of its individuals. Individuals like Luann. I have a child that has cystic fibrosis, and he's hit some down spots. He's 26 now, but the system really lets down people with um, behavioral and mental stuff to me. What I've experienced personally with my son, it was very hurtful a couple years back. which is feeling depressed, and I tried really hard to go to these places, and I have never, ever been so disappointed. So I'm just really excited that hopefully this is something that can help children that, you know, they can't help what their problem is. Throughout all of the challenges while planning and designing this project, we very quickly hit one big bump in the road. So when the original rural hospital was built back in the 50s, all the area in this town around it was farmland. And so when this land was set aside for a small rural hospital, it had to be zoned differently than the surrounding farmland. And that original zoning came with certain requirements or conditions that were no longer relevant when you fast forward to 2020 for a behavioral health center. And so in order for a client to use this, we pretty much needed to rezone to pursue the project? In my history, I've gone through um, plenty of zoning hearings um, and and sort of um, conversations with the community about the value of these programs. And and there's sort of a few prevailing uh, themes. (laughs) One is not in my backyard, right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes people don't want these sorts of facilities in their neighborhoods and in their communities. We're not yet there as a society where people see their brain health as a part of their physical health or where people see mental health as something that all of us need, not just that person over there on the street corner. But the reality is these kids and families are our kids and families. These kids are going to our baseball games, hopefully when we get them restarted. You know, They're going to our churches, to Boy Scouts, they're in our schools. 
They're in our grocery stores. They're, they're, these are kids in our kids and families in our community. They're not coming in, in from some spaceship, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the joke I make that these these are our kids, and 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 if we want to serve them effectively and efficiently, we serve them in the communities where they live. One of the things that I, if I'm giving a talk in a community center or to a civic group or what have you, I'll I'll make the analogy of cancer. Um, and, and this is dating myself, and, and probably it worked for the audience too. But you know, cancer 50, 60 years ago was a word you didn't even say. It was the c word. Um, you know, it was people didn't talk about cancer. It was it was like really viewed in a in a, in a much different way than it is now. And 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 transform that to today. If someone has any kind of cancer you know, colon cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, whatever, they go and get treatment for that. And they're going to blast it on their social media. They're going to put a bumper sticker on their car. They're going to wear a t-shirt to a 5k. They're, they're going to, there, there is no stigma around, around cancer. And there really should never have been. Because it is a, it's, it's something that some people can't help. And it's, it's sad um, not to have somebody to listen to you when you go up there and say, please help my son that is depressed, that doesn't, you know, want to go on, and, you know, he's the love of my life, you know, <laughs> and not somebody to take you genuine and serious, and I didn't. I had nobody. It's a, it's a health care issue just like any health care issue. Um, it has physical impacts as well as mental health and behavioral health impacts. And the reality is the majority of of people will experience trauma in their life and will experience a mental health issue in their life. Rezoning is usually a lot of work and a pretty lengthy process. So what did that mean for our project? You know, it started off with the design team and the client meeting with the town, with the building and zoning department, just to explain what the project is and just so they know what's going in there. So we filed the petition, and then, um, of course, you have to have public hearings. You have to get support from the community. I had already met the, the dentist that was next door and the manager and the, um, and the facilities director for the senior housing that's Kitty Corner. Um, and I had already walked and met some of the apartments on the adjacent street. Over the decades, there's been a lot of residential development around it. Myself and and um, Rick from Kids Peace at the time, um, he's since left. Um, and um, one of our board members, Lynn Nelson, um, actually, we walked and canvassed the community. I can't remember what the perimeter was, but we went to every every house, contacted every person, either in and sometimes we wrote letters if we didn't get them face to face. Tried to call. Um, Some people we talked to multiple times. On top of that, we had two public hearings. We did have quite a few people show up. There were a lot of good questions, um, but it was mostly support. But I'm excited about that being used for something that's really important in our community. To see something positive happen there. But again, you have the stigma, behavioral health, um, oh, and adolescence, the unknown, you know. It was finally time for the last rezoning hearing and the big vote that would decide our fate. We 
had lots of people there in support. And we'd already had lots of support in applying for the grant. We had letters of support from um, all the major hospitals, UNC, Duke, Wake Med. The immediate neighbors of the facility all along the way have wanted it. We had letters of support from school systems, from um, law enforcement, from several different um, organizations in, in, the, in our catchment in support of the facility. Now, time to face Town Hall. It really was reinforcing to see the, the kind of support that came out in, in favor. And I think you had mentioned to me before that, you know, that we had one of the town council members shared her personal story that her child had committed suicide and um, and she really wished that they had a resource like this. That was pretty powerful. Along with folks from the community, we heard public statements of support from four of the six commissioners, even the mayor. The rezoning vote passed unanimously and we were able to continue on. The ingredients for a successful behavioral health project are the supportive community, a group of skillful designers, see a little bias, I told you, and passionate clients. Luckily, we had all three. I think that um, the community being involved is, is critical. I think it's through that you start to establish some of the equity, the more community involvement and family involvement that you have the more people with lived experience, and by lived experience, I mean those who have either been a parent of someone with behavioral health issues or uh, knows, has a family member, uh, it really, it makes a real big difference because when you see it through their eyes, it's very different than coming at it from the professional end of things. Last weekend, I was volunteering with one of, my, one of our projects. And she met someone. There was a guy there from the school system. And I said, where did he, you know, asked him where he was teaching. He said, Fuquay High School. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> Let me give you my name. He teaches digital media. Like, how cool is that? Maybe you'd be a resource for some of the kids, you know, to do some sort of instruction, whatever. I don't know, you know, maybe, you never know. Involving lots of different people, um, will I think we'll will end up with a better product. That same supportive community involvement doesn't just stop once these doors are open. Tell me, Kate, how did you get into this kind of work? I went to school for social worky kind of things, but ended up working as a director of a group home, um, and. And for individuals with developmental disabilities, and they were adults, being um, being actually discharged to the community from state hospitals. And um, I was probably all of 22, maybe. And it was extremely challenging. And I was in way over my head. The home had seven adult women. I lived in the program in an apartment on top of the house um, for all but eight days a month. Were there any lessons from that experience that guided you to where you are today? One of the things I learned was um, how to integrate into the community with people who obviously had some disabilities, but to do it in a way that 
others would look at you and go, wow, that's pretty cool. One of my favorite memories there is we um, went out to dinner one night and had, I think most of the girls, maybe a couple had gone on home visits or something, but we had most everybody. And it was always a production <laughs> because you had people with different, you know, ideas of what they're doing and all that. So it was always a little bit of a production, but we're at this Italian restaurant and I think maybe three staff and the rest of us all there, we had transported everybody and got everybody in and, you know, there was a wheelchair or two involved and um, had dinner. Um, and these were adults. Um, we sat there and, and talked and, you know, laughed. And um, it was a normal night out for us. We didn't go out to dinner all the time, but once in a while it was a special treat, you know? And um, when we went to go pay the check, somebody had paid it. And they left a note and <laughs> they said, makes me tear up today. Um, they said it was, you know, just the most amazing thing they'd ever seen and keep doing the work. Treat people how you want to be treated. Certainly a good lesson for all of us. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Alliance, Kids Peace, the town of Fuquay Varina, and LS3P. And I'd like to give a special shout out and thank you to Kate Peterson, Patrick Slattery, Luann Moore, Eileen McDonough, and Jeff Morrell. Thank you for listening to Human Scale, conversations on architecture and design. To find out more about LS3P, visit us at our website at www.ls3p.com.